You look like a bunch of fifth grade sissies after a cat fight. You got anger, that's good. You're gonna need it, son. You got aggression, that's even better. You're gonna need that too. But any little two-year-old child can throw a fit. Football is about controlling that anger. Harnessing that aggression into a team effort to achieve perfection. When you put that uniform on, that Titan uniform, you better come to work. I think you're nothing. Nothing but a pure waste of God-given talent. You don't listen to nobody, man. You can't run over everybody in this league. And every time you do, you leave one of your teammates hanging out to dry. Such a good movie. <laughs> All fired up. Um, hey, like I said, once again, welcome. My name is Shane. And uh, if you're just joining us online, uh, we're really excited you're here. And uh, we've been in a series, uh, which is kind of um, going through the series of the book of John. And we're actually going to take a pause from that because there's something really specific that I had on my heart. Uh, we were in John chapter 4 last week, and we'll resume uh, the following week. But this specific Sunday, I want to speak about something. Before I get there, uh, I want to read a, a passage out of Judges. And um, you may think, like, why are we, why are we going to be reading this particular scripture? Uh, but it really stood out to me, and I think it sets the stage for where I want to head. And it's out of Judges chapter 16, and uh, pick up in verse 4. It says this, Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley whose name was Delilah. That girl's poison. Okay. Uh, the, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you could lure him into showing you, watch this, the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Now, we know the story 
We know what ended up happening. We know ultimately what the, the power of his strength is. And in those days, I would be completely powerless. Let's be honest. Okay. Um, but, uh, but I have a question for you. What's the secret to your power? What's the secret to our power? What's the secret to our strength? And um, just like Delilah was seeking to find out what is that secret, because how many know that if, if an enemy can find the secret to your strength, he'll know how to take you down. And, and I believe that right now, like never before, the enemy has been pinpointing and leveraging and putting his finger on a pressure point in the church that is our strength is the source of our power. Yes. And, um, and I want to speak on that subject today. Uh, but before I do, I want to uh, read Acts chapter 2. And before I read Acts chapter 2, I want to set the stage that this is the beginning of the church. In fact, we just celebrated Pentecost a number of weeks ago. This is Jesus was buried. Um, he rose again. He spent time with the disciples. And then at the end of, uh, at the very beginning of Acts, he told the disciples to go to the upper room and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. You'll be endowed with power and you'll be my witnesses. And they went to the upper room. And here we pick up in uh, chapter two, verse one, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, everyone say all. all. Come on at home. Everyone say all. all. We're all with one accord in one place. I want to suggest to you that we are powerful together. Amen. There was something that took place in that moment that, uh, that united them. And it created an, an, a shockwave that was literally felt outside those doors and we're still feeling it today. If you continue to read, you'll know that it said, literally says that there was people from every language and every nation in Jerusalem at the time and they came out and, and instantly there was a sense of unity. Like literally people were able to understand their own dialect even and 3,000 people were added to the church on that day because of the unifying force of what took place. But it started with 120 people, not just men, people, and, and they were unified. And it took them a while to get there. Jesus said, go and wait. Why wait? Well, because unity doesn't just happen overnight. It is a process. It is intentional. It is a struggle because everybody else is weird except for me. And everyone could say that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Jesus said, I want you to wait. Not because the Holy Spirit was tied up doing something else, had to get on the Holy Spirit schedule. No, he said, go wait, because something needs to take place in the atmosphere of your community for you to be ready for what I'm going to do. And it's called being of one accord, one mind, one heart, because that's where the power comes from. And Jesus knew that in that time, there was so much division that this would be so necessary. I mean, can you imagine Jesus just died? He was buried. And whether or not in the time, whether or not he rose again or his body got stolen was a debate. 
I mean, even within the Christian community, people were like, ah, I don't really know. And did he really come back? And then the disciples were like, no, no, I saw him. Like, did you really see him? And the Pharisees were like, no way. And they created an alternate scenario. So there was all this division going on. And Jesus knew in the middle of that, for his church to be birthed, for power to go forth, there needed to be a unity that was tangible. And we saw that in, uh, in the upper room. I, I love this illustration. Um, when a Roman garrison, when a Roman uh, group of soldiers were marching, they would march in, in a, a sense of order. And I don't know exactly what that looked like, but I know that there was a sense of order. There was a sense of cadence with it. And we know that because it's documented that when, when a, garrison, a Roman garrison would come, when they're marching along, going from city to city, and they would come to a bridge, that it's documented that the, that the, um, the cadence by which they were marking, marching was so powerful that they literally had to disband and not march in cadence while they crossed the bridge. Because if they, if they kept their cadence, the unity of their march was so powerful, it would literally cripple the bridge. We are powerful together. There's a couple of scriptures in Ecclesiastes and uh, in Matthew, uh, they're familiar to us. Uh, Ecclesiastes says a threefold cord is not easily broken. Uh, Matthew says, if two or three are gathered together, and we all know the scripture says where two or three are gathered, you know, I'm there in, in, in your midst. But what it says before that is it says where two or three are gathered and they agree upon any one thing according to my will, it will be done. That there is that agreement that's so powerful. I'm not just present, but my power to move is present when there is agreement. So powerful. And then uh, Psalm 133 says this. And verse one and two, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then it says this, it is like the precious oil. Go with me. This is what, this is what the psalmist is saying. It's not only good and pleasant, but this is what it's like. It's like the precious oil poured on the head that ran down the beard of Aaron. Now to you and me, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Grab some essential oil and pour it on your head. Pour it wherever you want. It's good stuff, right? But back then... The oil in particular on the beard of Aaron, which is the high priest, on the beard of Aaron meant the anointing oil. It represented the Holy Spirit. It represented the presence of the Holy Spirit. It represented power. That's what Samuel did when he anointed David to be king. That, that oil was powerful. And he's saying that this, this unity... It's not just good and it's not just pleasant and it's not just nice and it's not just comfortable and wonderful to be in that environment. But there's something of the Holy Spirit's presence there that is so powerful. And so it makes sense why the enemy would try to go overboard to bring division. See, the unity is a direct result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Unity is a direct result of the work of the Holy Spirit. And the opposite is true. Division and discord are a direct result of the work of the enemy. Anytime there's confusion, there's discourse, there's disunity, there's, there's just that. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you ever, you ever been in a home, right? Or in a relationship, and it's just, there's just strife. And, and you feel it, it's tangible. And where that's present, the enemy, that's, that's just a petri dish that he works. Now, I feel like it's, uh, it's worth noting that 
that we're not striving to be in unity with the world. Right? The goal here is not that the whole world is harmonious. Because, because we're not in agreement with the way of the world. Now this message isn't a for or against the world. However, the God of this world and the system of this world, 100%, we're against that. But our goal as believers isn't to be in harmonious sync with the world, just so that like, we're not just a bunch of peacemakers going around. How can we just, just make sure that everybody's okay? Like, just love everyone. Like, that, that sounds really good because you were, used the word love in there. But when Psalm 133 talks about how good and pleasant it is for us to dwell in unity, it says the brethren to dwell in unity. The body of Christ, those of us who have accepted Jesus into our heart, have our spirit man alive, and there can be an agreement at that level. We want agreement with our spirits. Our spirit man, there's an agreement upon the, the work of God and the kingdom of God and his priorities, and there's an agreement there that's so tangibly powerful. Anybody with me? Yeah. Mm, okay. Um, this is so relevant to our world today, but it's also relevant, and this is what I don't want us to miss, is it's so relevant in every relationship you have, in any interaction you have that's not just you. You don't need you. You don't need unity with you in the mirror, okay? You're already there. But when it comes to you and another human being, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your, ch- your kids, whether it's your you know, friend, extended family, coworkers, whatever it is, What I'm talking about today is so powerful because the enemy seeks to divide constantly. That's why there's always two topics that you never bring up around the Thanksgiving table, right? You never bring up politics and you never bring up religion, right? (laughs) Because it's like, those are just, oh, I don't know. Okay, so I'll just bow out, right? Um, but, But that's because the enemy seeks to divide. And what we're seeking for is that unity that is so powerful. And I want to talk about how we how we get there. Because I think there's a lot of different philosophies on even what unity is and, and how, we, how we attain it. Um, and I think these are the things that the disciples would have had to figure out in those days, those two weeks that they were in the upper room. They were trying to figure this out, like, okay, Jesus sent us here and we're waiting. I mean, I'm sure the first couple of days they were just like kind of doing their own thing, like it's going to happen any second. And then like after the first week, it's like, okay, I got to start talking to somebody frustrated me. Like, I'm going to have to start fleshing this out a little bit because clearly we're here for a reason and it takes intentionality and it takes work. And so the first idea is this. I believe that we have to guard our heart by tending our soul. Guard our heart by tending our soul. Now I'm going to geek out for you for a minute for the sake of my wife because she has discovered gardening. Now some of you, we're going to appreciate this because you're into this. I don't have a green thumb at all, but my wife, she's starting to get into it. And um, she wanted me to make, uh, help her make her, a garden bed. And so I want to throw the picture up there because um, this is the garden that she's made. Uh, and stay on this picture just for a second because this is, uh, that's not a snake, by the way. It's a, um, a hose. But uh, it's on the side of our yard and she's super proud of it. I'm proud of her, for her because she did a great job and I really just kind of helped a little bit. But she measured it all out and calculated it, got all the wood and that stuff on the top is um, <clears throat> manure. Okay, yep. Uh, we were out in our back porch a couple days ago and I was noticing a, a crazy amount of flies. 
And I'm like, gosh, what's the deal with the flies? You know, and I'm out there with like the insect repellent and I'm like trying to get the flies out and I'm considering going to get one of those hanging things that really smell with the, you know, the fly thing. Like what's going on with the flies? And then it suddenly dawns on me. My wife brought in a truckload of manure. And I'm like, you know, it would have been great if we would have had this conversation before you decided to get manure. Anyways, apparently it's great fertilizer. Uh, that remains to be seen. We got flies. But, um, but the point is that, that it wasn't enough to just have a garden because, because, see, before she built this, we had a different garden and she, she was growing tomatoes. And tomatoes, for whatever reason, love the side of our yard because, I mean, they, they grow like weeds. Just nice, big tomatoes, super tasty. And you know who else really likes our tomatoes is our new dog, Midnight. She's a, a, a lab, a German shepherd, and she basically lives on tomatoes. Um, so every time a tomato would grow, she'd eat it. And so Heather realized that though she can grow them really good, it's just game over as soon as there's any produce. So, go to the next picture. She came up with this whole idea of creating a fence or a barrier around her garden. And those, each of those pieces, they lift up and they re- or can remove them so she can work in her garden. It's actually pretty brilliant. Okay, what does that do with gardener heart? Well, it's not enough to just water. It's not enough to fertilize if we don't put a hedge of protection or guard around our hearts, then the enemy has a heyday at the things that come in and ultimately infect the way that we see the world. The Bible talks about guarding your heart. Guarding your heart above all things. Why? Because the heart represents your soul. It's the soul of a man. It's the soul of a woman. It's who you really are. The Bible talks a lot about this, that there's a fight, a constant fight. Your spirit always wants to please God. Your flesh hates God and, 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 and never wants to please God. And your soul, your will, your mind, and your emotions, what you think, your thoughts, right? How many of you know your thoughts can sometimes be awesome and sometimes bad? Your emotions, your feelings. Sometimes you, you're, you, know, you wake up and you're just like, yeah, this could be a good day and you've got good emotions. And other times you're like, I don't know who this person is inside of me, but they're conflicted. And then, and then our desires follow, Right? And, and, and if we don't protect our heart, then, then the soil gets messed up. And who knows what grows in bad soil? The Bible talks about the seed throwing among the soil, right? It's always good seed. The farmer's sowing. It's Jesus sowing the word of God, sowing the seed. There's nothing wrong with the seed. It's always good. It's always pure. It's the word of God. But it only works in one soil, the good soil. Doesn't work on the hard ground, doesn't work on the stony ground, doesn't work on the thorny pathway. It only works in the good soil. And so the soil is important. Okay, what does this have to do with unity? Well, I have a question for you. How's your thoughts recently about others? In particular, those that frustrate you. Or don't think like you. How's your feelings about others? And then consequently, how is your desires because of those thoughts and emotions? We have to be so diligent 
to do me first. Everyone say me first. Listen, it's so easy to point the finger, but when you point the finger, you've got at least three, sometimes four, depending on how bendy your thumb is. But you got fingers pointing back at you every time you point a finger. It's so easy to point the finger, especially in today's day and age. Oh my gosh, don't get me wrong. There's some crazy stuff going on that in my heart I'm pointing the finger at. But start here, God. Start with me. I never want to be the person that's just constantly pointing the finger and I haven't taken the time to go, God, how's my spirit? How's my thoughts? How's my mind? How's my emotions? Am I lined up with you? Is my spirit lined up with you, God, today? When I wake up, I'm going to take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, have your way here. I want to win the battle of my soul today. I want to win the battle of my mind. Not today, Satan. You ain't hijacking my soul today. And it's hijackable. That's the thing. Your salvation's not hijackable. Listen, there's a lot of things that you're secure in. Your identity is who you are in Christ. You can go on autopilot and you never change who you are. But your soul, your thoughts, your desires, your feelings, it is absolutely hijackable. And the enemy is working overtime. Why? Because if he can hijack it today then you're going to be an instrument of disunity and not unity. And and I want to be an instrument of unity. I want to be right there in the middle, sowing and and contributing to what the Holy Spirit can inhabit in his people. And if I don't start with me, and if I don't ask the Lord in my marriage, in my walk with my kids, in my church community, and what's going on, if I don't start here, that I'm just going to go on the fly and I'm going to do what I think and I'm going to read Facebook posts and I'm going to do all these things and I'm just going to react. And in my, on my best day, I'll bet you my reactions are 50% bad on my best day. But the Holy Spirit, when he takes control of my spirit, of my emotions and my thoughts, then my reactions are going to be in line with the kingdom of God and I am going to be walking in power and authority and contributing to Unity. The next thing, and this is my last idea. I I really have two, these these are just practical things on how we can fight against the enemy putting his finger on the source of our power, being unified as the body of Christ. So we're going to start with me. And then the second thing is protect your connection by showing honor. Protect your connection by by showing honor. So let's start out with honor. Honor is the recognition of value. It's the recognition that every human being, every person, every every person that is made in the image of God, which is every single human being, has, has been given significant eternal value. Seeing every person as valuable. Okay. So Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. And then he says this, outdo one another in showing honor. Not thinking about honor, not having honor emotions, not having a hashtag of honor, showing honor. It's an action. It's love in action, showing one another you're valuable. You have immense value. And I can say this, and this is one of my 
This is one of the things that's grieving my spirit right now. There's not a lot of honor going on in our world today. It's not a lot of honor. I mean, I deleted Facebook off of my phone just because, like, I just couldn't do it anymore. It's, It's grieving my spirit so much in the dishonor. Now, listen, our world shoot, that's the, that's the fuel that they live on, right? Dishonor for the sake of getting ahead. Whoever I can push down for me to get ahead, and then I spin it so it sounds good, and we call it good, right? That's, that, that's the world system. And I'm talking about in the body of Christ. There's so much dishonor happening because people are passionate, right? People are angry, all of those things, but it's dishonor, Treating people as not valuable on both sides of the aisle, both sides of the conversation, right? There's just so much dishonor. And, 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 and here's why. Worldly unity does not require honor. Worldly unity does not require honor. Now listen, I mean, we watched Remember the Titans. It's not a Christian movie. I mean, everybody appreciates unity, any sports team, any business, they're all striving for a sense of oneness. But worldly unity does not require honor. Check this out. Worldly unity is achieved through fear and a commitment to alignment. If you disagree with me, I will embarrass you. That's what's happening today in our world. If you agree with me, we're good. You align with how I think how I talk, how I do things, the narrative of the day, we're aligned, right? We're good? All right, we're good. If you disagree with me, I will shame you. And just turn on the news and turn on social media at any level, and there is a whole lot of shaming going on. And if we're not careful, it'll seep into into our marriages. It's called called coercion or control or manipulation. I I know a lot of marriages that that have that in there, a sense of manipulation. Like, if you don't do things the way I think you should do things, I'm going to shame you. If we're not careful, it'll seep into our relationships. Because worldly unity, although unity feels so good when you achieve it, or a sense of unity, but the worldly unity does not require me to value you for who you are or your opinion. It just requires me to control you to the point where you can fall in line with my narrative. And I'm telling you, it's demonic because it has a semblance of truth. It has a semblance of goodness, but ultimately it devalues the person. And that's not God. Spiritual unity is achieved through love, and a commitment to honor. If you don't think like me, I will protect our connection. I will protect our connection. Let me ask you something. Do we have, is there space in our community? Is there space in the body of Christ to not all think exactly alike? To not all be exactly alike? Is there room in our church? Is there space in our relationships and in our marriage for us to be a little different? Or is unity sameness? Do we have to fall in line? Do we have to clone one another in order to achieve this unity? Or is the body of Christ this beautiful, diverse thing that we can agree on the big things? We can agree on the big rocks. We can agree, like like Paul said, I have found that Jesus Christ and him crucified. Those are the things that we're going to argue about. And there's space and there's room at the table for us to be different. 
for us to follow Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in the way that we love and honor one another. I'll tell you what, the Pharisees fell into this. This was their deal. They were all about uniformity. That was their, how you dressed, how you talked, what you did. It was uniformity. And Jesus came along and said, my yoke is different. My way is different. See, their yoke was bondage. It was rules. It was regulations. It was how you think, how you feel, what time you get up in the morning, what you do on Sabbath. And if you, if, if you want to be like us, and if you want to be included and not shamed, you better fall in line. And Jesus came and said, my yoke's not like that. My yoke's easy and light. Follow me. Follow me. Come, come be and understand and know the way of grace. Is the cross big enough for all kinds of people? When this version of the church shows up, the, ch- the world takes notice. And I can promise you the world's not taking notice of a church that's divided. It's not. It's just like, see, look at them. They're a bunch of fools. When we're at each other, when we're arguing, when we're just, let's just like chum in the water, just sharks are just, it's just like blood in the water. But when we step into this level of unity that doesn't require you to think like me or you to be like me or act like me, but we give space to one another. Listen, I know I'm talking about like the world right now, but like, let's just think about our relationships, our marriage. When we say to one another, I give you space to be you. Now listen, there's a line, obviously, of things that we have to agree on, but, but there's a whole lot of gray areas in terms of you being you. I'm going to give you space to be you, and I'm going to value and honor you for that. When the church steps into that, the world takes notice. Listen to this, John 13, 35 says, By this, people, the world, will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. The, world, the people right there is the, the word world. And one another is the body of Christ. That's what it's talking about. So Jesus is saying that when the world's looking around and they see a people group, my people, Christians, and we they see them loving one another in this way, they take notice and they're like, oh, the church has showed up because this is what it looks like. This is so powerful. I want to end with this. I started out by talking about the, the disciples in the upper room. And as I was processing this, and I was processing those two weeks, because like we've kind of all been in quarantine much longer than two weeks, but I was thinking about these two weeks and these disciples in this upper room, and they're kind of quarantined and what they were doing. And I was asking myself, why that room? Like, why the upper room? Like, I've been there, and I've been in that room, and it's nothing special. There's no, like, geographical place that makes it, like, so unique. And I was thinking about it. Why, Jesus, why did Jesus say, go to that room specifically? And then it dawned on me. This is the place that Jesus had the first Passover and explained to them the first, the, the Lord's Supper. This is where he sat on before he died. He sat down with them in that very room and explained to them, I am the Passover. 
And it's the first time that they like really understood because Peter said, no, 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 like I'll, 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 I'll never deny you. Like I'll, I'll die for you. And, 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 and Jesus was explaining his death. Then during the burial, during the period of time where the disciples were freaked out because Jesus was still in the grave, the disciples ran back to that room. That same room. And they were all worked up because Jesus hadn't risen yet. And then it says in John 20, Jesus raises from the dead, comes and meets Mary at the tomb, and then goes to the same room where the disciples are at, and Jesus shows him his scars. And it dawned on me that that room where the disciples are hanging out for two weeks to try to find unity literally represents the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. All three of them were there presently. Those emotions, those things, those feelings, they all processed them in that very room because at the cross is the only place that we can lay down all of our expectations and all of our desires and all of our worldly passions and our feelings and our emotions. And we say, Jesus, at the cross is the only leveling ground for the world. That's the only way that we can live in the sense of unity, that we can embrace the love of Jesus. Not trying to be unified with the world, with the, but with the body of Christ, the people that truly believe that Jesus is the answer. Yes. That is where we find unity. That is how we find unity. It's at the cross. Jesus paid for it. And so I want to I encourage us today. Let's start with us. And then as we move on from there, let's tap into godly unity. Let's not go after sameness. Let's go after spiritual unity. Father God, I can't imagine the emotions and the thoughts and the feelings and the desires that the disciples had in that upper room as they were waiting. and All the differences of opinions and everything they had been through. All the arguments and the vying for position and the differences of opinion on what's gonna happen next. Who's gonna be in charge And in the middle of all of that, in those two weeks, you transformed their community to be ready for the anointing of God, the oil that flows over the beard of Aaron, the unity of the body of Christ that is so powerful. It's the source of our power. And so, Father God, we choose unity. We choose to put our differences aside. And Father God, I ask right now that you would take the body of Christ by the power of your spirit. You would link us up arm and arm. And God, that we would enter or re-enter our world powerfully, God, like a, like a, like a double-edged sword, able to pierce through all of the noise and bring the kingdom of God united. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name.
Amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.